Hello and welcome. Before we get started, I want you to do something for me. If you are driving in your car and you're listening to this podcast, if you're taking a walk in the park and you're listening to this podcast, or if you're listening at home, I want you to yell out. People may think you're crazy, but we're not crazy. I want you to yell out, hallelujah to Yahuwah, our king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to our king. If you've been your spouse through the week, y'all been bickering, you want to say break and say hallelujah to our king. If your car broke down on the side of the road, we want to say hallelujah to Yahuwah, our king. And we want to give him praises every single day. And especially on this holy day of the holy Shabbat, we want to say hallelujah to Yahuwah, our king. Say it with me one more time. Hallelujah to Yahuwah, our king. Amen. Amen. All praises to our king, Yahuwah, Eloheinu, and his son, Yahusha HaMashiach, who came and died for our sins that we may have a chance at eternal life. I am Boyce Washington, and on the side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. We are a father and son team, if you do not know that. We are Science of the Covenant. And today I want to say Shabbat Shalom to the Hebrew Mishpachah scattered to the four corners. And we also say Shabbat Shalom to our other nations who have said that Yahuwah is the only Elohim of this world and they only want to keep him. So welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And we hope you've been listening to us. And if this is your first time, we hope you enjoy our podcast. So before we get started, you know my question. Now, when you get to when you, when you go to the movies, right, you always got to have your popcorn ready. But since we study in the scripture, we study in the word, you got to have your Bibles ready. Right. So we want to get you. We want you to have your Bibles, get your Bibles ready, get your notes, your pen, your pad. We don't care how you get your Bible, whether it's on a digital form, on your book, in a, in a computer or your phone. However, just get your Bibles ready as we get ready to study. So, Pastor, I'm turning it over to you. OK, thank you very much. And. We want to start where we left off uh, last week. And last week, we, de- we were dealing with the marital mythology. And we had covered two segments in that, which was the form of Elohim and how he had made man in that form. And we pointed out at least two reasons why that form he gave to man, not just for aesthetic purposes and for beautification and symmetry, but those forms that when man sinned, it allowed Yeshua to come back into this world, into that form, because he couldn't come into any other form, but the form in which he gave to man. And when he came into that form, he was able to come in and to get a body and to redeem man. And then once he had redeemed man, that for, that same form he wanted to use to be able to, to deposit his Holy Spirit. So we see that it was a sacrificial form for him to come to save us. And it's also a spiritual form for him to put his Holy Spirit into us. And what we have been studying is the miracle merging, the miracle merging. Now in this particular discourse here today, 
we want to look at what we call the marital matching, the marital matching. Okay. Now, uh, when we deal with the marital matching, what we want to do is to see how things are matched up in, in a marital relationship. When we are dealing with, uh, matchmaking in a marriage, this is where the male and the female are mated together. And what we want to notice in the Adamic betrothal is how Elohim mated them together. After seeing how Yah matched them up, we would then look at the relationship of marriage, of the marriage covenant of Elohim and his people. In the matchmaking of Adam and Eve, there are four areas of their matchmaking we would like to touch on. Now, the first area of concern is the matchmaker. Okay, so we want to continue to look at the matchmaker. Now, I want you to turn with me in your scriptures to chapter 2 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. And we want to look at verse 20, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 20. And here, here it says, in the, we want to look at the, the latter part of verse 20, which is, he says, But for Adam, there was not found that helped me for him. And in verse 21, And Yehoah, Elohim, caused a deep sleep, to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which Yehoah Elohim had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Okay, now this is what uh, the matchmaker did. Okay, the, now when we deal with the matchmaker, the matchmaker is Elohim himself. He's the one who made Adam and Eve, and this is why he is referred to as the matchmaker. However, at this juncture, what we would like to do is to look at the nature of the, of the matchmaker. We are told in Genesis 1.27, I want you to turn there with me, Genesis 1.27. We're talking about the matchmaker who is Elohim. Here in the 27th verse of the first chapter of Genesis, it says, And Elohim created man in his image. In the image of Elohim created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, when we look at this, we are told in Genesis 1.27 that Elohim created man in his image. In the image of Elohim created he him. And it goes further to say that this image and likeness of him was a male and female created he them. So when we observe the nature of Elohim, when we observe his image, it is in accordance to this verse both male and female, if that is so, then we would certainly raise some questions 
And one such question is that we asked would be, is he masculine and feminine? So if he is a male, if the image is the male and the female, is Elohim masculine and feminine? And if he is both, then can we call him either father or mother? If we say that the feminine nature uh, is a part of him, can we call him mother? And if we say the masculine nature that he has, can we call him father? So can we call him either father or mother? And if he is, uh, and if he, and if we can only refer to him as father, uh, wouldn't this overlook the feminine side of the matchmaker? We know that when Yeshua was here on earth, he never referred to Elohim as his mother. He only referred to him as his father. He was always talking about his heavenly father. Now, does this mean that he made the feminine side of his nature subservient to the masculine side? Even though Yah created both the male and female in his image, does this mean that he ignores or purposely exalts his masculinity over the femininity? Now, in order to explain why he is spoken of in a masculine rather than in a feminine sense, let's draw some observations about him from his creation. And what we want to notice uh, uh, is a principle we refer to as the principle of dominance, the principle of dominance. Let us take a closer look at this principle in his creation. The principle is prevalent in a number of places in the creation narrative. Let us look at some of them. Now, the principle of dominance, what we are to understand about the principle of dominance is that it makes the naming of two things to be named after only one, one of the two. The reason being is that the one is dominant over the other. So let us look at a few examples of this occurrence. First, we have what is called, referred to as the photo dominance, the photo dominance. The photo dominance, when we speak in terms of photo domineering, we are seeing how light is dominated in its conquest over darkness. So I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we want to look at verse number 2 and following. Okay, in Genesis chapter 1, and considering verse 2, here it reads, it said, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters, and Elohim said, Let there be lights. And there was light. And Elohim saw the light, that it was good, and Elohim divided the light from the darkness, and Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called light, 
and the evening and the morning were the first day. So as we consider the photo dominance, what we see here on the first day of creation is that darkness covered everything like the waters covered the earth. Then Elohim said, let there be light. And in so doing, light and darkness are intermingled. And once the darkness and the light was intermingled, he divided the light from the darkness. And after having separated them, he named the light day and the darkness he named night. However, they both together were named day. Here in this scenario, we can see the principle of dominance at work. Why didn't he say that the darkness and the light would be at night? Light can extinguish darkness, but darkness cannot extinguish light. Therefore, he names the two of them according to the one that is dominant. Another, you see, so when he's, he had, in order to have a day, we have to have the dark part and the light part, but when he gets through with putting a um, dark part with the light part, he names it after the light part. So if he's naming it after the light part, then we can see that light is dominant over darkness. Okay, now, another dominant principle we see is what we refer to as the terrestrial dominance, the terrestrial dominance. When we speak in terms of terrestrial domineering, we are viewing how Earth is, a domin is dominant in its conquest over water. Now, let us turn, let us stay right here in Genesis chapter 1, and we want to look at verses 9 through 11. We're talking about the terrestrial dominance. Okay, here it reads in Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 9. It said, And Elohim said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and Elohim called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And Elohim saw that it was good. And verse 11 says, And Elohim said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind whose seed was in itself upon the earth and it was so. Now, what we see here on the third day of creation is that it is that water covered everything. Then Elohim said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear and it was so now after separating the water and the land he called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas and then he says let the earth bring forth now here in this scenario we can see that we can see the principle of dominance at work why didn't he say, let the waters bring forth grass rather than the earth? He said, earth, because earth can absorb the water, 
but water cannot absorb the earth. So here we have habit, again, earth dominating the water. So when he makes things, there are two elements. And when he makes the two elements, one element is going to dominate the other. So just like light dominates darkness, earth dominates water. Let us consider another principle of dominance, of which we will refer to as the luminary dominance. The luminary dominance. When we speak in terms of luminary dominant, domineering, we are observing how light of the sun is a dominant in its conquest over the moon and the stars. So let us go back to Genesis chapter 1, and this time we want to look at verse number 14. And here it says, And Elohim said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and Elohim made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also, and Elohim set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and Elohim saw that it was good and evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now what we see here is the luminaries. So when we see here on the fourth day of creation is that the greater light will rule the day, and the lesser light will rule the night. As we observe this scenario, we can see at least two occurrences taking place. Now let us look at the first occurrence. First we see what is called light transference, of which we refer to as phototransference. The word photo comes from the Greek word light. And so we are talking about phototransference. Now, in this occurrence, what we observe is that what Elohim did for the first three days of creation week of providing light, he now transfers the light provisions to the celestial bodies of light he has created. And they now serve the same purpose as they did prior to the fourth day. So in other words, what we are looking at is the fact that when he created the sun, moon, and the stars, they were to give light. But what we see here is that these celestial bodies of light were to take over the position of what Elohim had, did, had done the first three days. So the first occurrence is that there was a transference of light from Elohim to the, to the luminaries. Now, second, the second occurrence, secondly, we see what is called light connection, of which we refer to as photo connection. In this occurrence, what we observe is that the light which Elohim brought forth on 
days one, two, or days one through three are connected to the lights coming forth from the celestial lights of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Just as day is dominated over the night, so the sun dominate over the moon, and naturally so, because if day is dominant overnight, and the sun rules the day, and the moon is subservient to the sun, and it rules the night, cannot we see the dominance principle here inherent in the luminaries? What we observe is that light, day, and the sun are dominant over darkness, night, and the moon. So now that we have looked at the principle of dominance, let us now make a connection between the feminine and the masculine nature of Elohim. Now that we can both see and understand how the principle of dominance uh, is operative in the creation, let us now see how it operates in the male and female nature of Elohim. We will refer to this part of our study as the androgynous likeness, which we will call the androgynous nature of Elohim. Now that word androgynous is spelled A-N-D-R-O-G-Y-N-O-U-S, the androgynous nature of Elohim. In this concept, we coined the term the theoandrony, theoandrony, theoandrony. In the theoandrony, we we are basically concerning ourselves with both the masculine and feminine nature of Elohim. The word androny deals with having both masculine as well as feminine traits in our nature. And so Elohim has these masculine and feminine traits in his nature. And that's what makes him androgynous. To say that Elohim is fully male is to deny his femaleness, and to say that Elohim is fully female is to de deny his maleness. If he created man, if he created the male and female, according to Genesis chapter 127, in his image, we cannot deny the fact that his nature embodies both. However, at this juncture, our concern isn't that he possessed both male and female characteristics. The Bible states that he does. If he didn't, how could he say he created them in his image? Our concern is how is it that he has elevated his masculine maleness of being a father over his feminine femaleness of being a mother? When we consider the principle of dominance, 
with the androgynous nature of Elohim, what we discover is that even in a male and female relationship, it takes the male sperm to unite with the female egg to produce. Without the male sperm, there cannot be the offspring of a child. The sperm is a seed. It is a seed that is responsible for life. This is why Yah's word is spoken of as being a seed. In the parable of the sower, Yeshua speaks of the seed being sowed. Now, what is the seed? Let us turn to the book of Luke to find out what this seed is. In the book of Luke, we want to look at uh, chapter chapter 11. No, chapter 8. In the book of Luke, we want to look at chapter 8. And in chapter 8, we want to we want to look at the 11th verse Luke 8:11 okay and it's talking about the parable of the sower okay in chapter 8 and verse 11 notice what it says it said talking about this parable that he was talking about he said now the parable is this the seed is the word of Elohim Okay, that's what the seed is. It's the word of Elohim. So when that soil went forth to sow in the various types of human soil, he was sowing the word of Elohim. Okay, so that's what the word is. It's, it, it's the word of Elohim. Consequently, since the seed is masculine, just as the light over darkness and earth over water and the sun over the moon, even so the seed is over the egg of the woman. Therefore, Elohim's word is over all and dominates all. Such word comes from the father, not the mother. It comes from the father, the, the masculine side. Here we see, here we can see to some extent that the matchmaker, Elohim, is the one who patterned Adam and Eve. When Adam was created in the image of, and likeness of his creator, he was both male and female. If that were not so, how could Eve have been a female seeing that she came from Adam? How could a female, feminine woman who came from Adam be so unless Adam possess these qualities in he himself. So in, the Adam, in order for the woman to come forth from the man, she had to be in the man. And when Elohim separated the androgynous nature of Adam into a man and a woman, he left the male nature with Adam and the female nature was extracted from him in the form of a woman. Once Adam was separated, his other, which was his other half, Eve would be his helpmate to complete him, just as Yah is complete in himself. Now that we observe the matchmaker, let us now consider the matchmaker, what the matchmaker did. So what we have looked at is the matchmaker which was Elohim, 
And we found out in the matchmaker, which is Elohim, he has both the feminine and the masculine. And the reason why we call him father is because the father portion of him carries the seed. And the seed is the dominant over the egg. So the next area we want to touch upon is the matchmaking. The matchmaking. Okay. Now the matchmaking is what the matchmaker is involved in doing. So if we have a matchmaker, which is Elohim, he's involved in making a match. The matchmaker knows how to match things. We can see how he has matched things in the universe he has designed. From the sun and its rays in a blue sky to the yellow dandelions in the green grass. He matches the colors of the coats of animals and constructs and contours of the fruit of the trees. He matched this universe up with perfect design and symmetry. Could not such an Elohim select the perfect match for Adam? I would think so. When it came to both Adam and Eve, Elohim said, Elohim paid particular attention to the creation of them. He designed both the man and the woman with the same bodily parts, with the exception of their genital organs and other bodily parts for a distinction in their being. Even though their reproductive organs were de designed differently, yet they were a perfect match to the holy couple. And we speak about matchmaking. Let us see what this involves. Let us turn in our Bibles to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, we want to look at what's involved in matchmaking. You see, the matchmaker is involved in matching things. He loves to match them. That's what, he, that's what creation is all about, is matching things up. So now when we look in Genesis chapter 2, we want to consider uh, two verses there. And those are verses 18 and 19. Okay. So we want to see what's involved in this matchmaking. Here in verse 18 it says, and Yehoah Elohim said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground, the Yehoah Elohim formed man of the, formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Now, when we talk about matchmaking, now, what I want you to notice when we read uh, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Now, we notice that Moses stated that, Yehoah stated that it was not good for man to be alone. I will make him a help me for him. Now, that's in verse 18. Now, based upon this statement, one may proceed to verse 19 to complement what he said. So if he's saying man should not be alone and he's going to give him a help me, 
it appears that in verse 19, the bringing forth of all of the created beasts and the fowls, that Adam would have them as his help me. Logically thinking, because he already told Adam, you know, I don't want you to be alone. I want you to, uh, uh, to have a help me. So when he started bringing all of the animals and the fowls to Adam to name them, then you would draw the conclusion that these were to be the companions of Adam. Well, no doubt, they were a type of companionship to Adam, yet Yah had something better in man for him and to be accompanied than just to be accompanied by animals. After Adam named all of the beasts and the fowl of which Yah created, he introduced two things to Adam. There were two things he introduced to him. Let us look at these two introductions. Now, the first thing he introduced to him was sleep. He introduced sleep to Adam. Now, when we consider the fact that Elohim introduced Adam to sleep, just after naming the creatures, it must not be without a reason that he, he did so. Everything that Elohim does, if you study it, it has a reason. So if Adam named all of those beasts and fowls, and then he put them to sleep, there must have been some reason for this. So at this juxtaposition, I asked the question, could not he have kept Adam awoke or awake as he considered his next creation, Eve? Just why did he put Adam to sleep prior to extracting one of his ribs to make him a helpmate? I would surmise that he did so for, for two possible reasons. There was two reasons that I think that he did that. The first reason would be because if he would see how Elohim made her, this would mean that he would have a jump on her once she came into existence. He would know more about how she was created, but she wouldn't know how he was created. So to avoid Adam from having more knowledge about her than she had about him, he made sure that Adam was asleep when Eve came on the scene of the action, because when she, when she came on the scene of the action, then Adam could have said to her, I know all about you. But not so, because he didn't see how she was made, and she didn't see how he was made. So they both didn't know how the other was created. Now, the second reason I would surmise was to relax Adam, to be able to appreciate her with all of his faculties refreshed and vitalized to engage in the greatest gift that Yah gave to our world, which was the woman. Now, we're going to stop there, but, but next week, we're going to continue uh, with the um, matchmaking to point out about the woman that he gave to Adam because that was the greatest gift that the world had received.
at, uh, when he made the woman. So we're going to stop there. And, and as we stop there, we're going to continue with the matchmaking next week. So uh, as we stop there, it may be some questions, some observation, or some concerns that you would like to address at this time. So you are saying that uh, Yahuwah has both male and female qualities, that they're both are combined into Yahuwah. Yeah, in the androgynous nature of uh, Elohim. Now, uh, that, that's pointed out in Genesis 1, 27. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he has both of those. Mm-hmm. So would Adam initially also have been androgynous until he decided, well, he needed a mate, so let me separate the two. Yeah, right. Uh, Adam also had, had, had an androgynous nature because if he was created in the image and likeness of Elohim, mm-hmm. he had to have the same thing. Right. So even can to go to as far as Yehosha, is it possible that Yehosha was androgynous until he took on the physical form and came onto this earth? Okay, that, that, that's, a, that's a very, very good question. Uh, now, when I consider that question, I consider uh, two things. Number one is, uh, we know that in heaven, he was called Michael. Mm-hmm. And Michael means one like Elohim. Okay. okay. Now, when we turn into our Bibles, uh, uh, to answer your question, when we turn to our Bibles, notice what what it says in Genesis one twenty six. Notice what it says. It said, and in Genesis one twenty six, and Elohim said, "Let us mm-hmm. make man in our image after our likeness." So he must have had an androgynous nature too, because he says, "Let us." Now, what the first one is. Elohim the Father, and if you talk about us, you talk about more than one. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the Son uh, must have also had an androgynous nature because of the fact that the Father had it, and, and He said, "Let us make it in our image." So the, both of their images must have been included, both the male and the female uh, qualities within them, for them to say, "Let us make us in our image." So you look at the image of the father and you look at the image of the son and then and you look at the image of man, then all three of them, the father, the son, and man had, had the same, same, same image because in order to, to say, let us make it in our image, they weren't making it out of no two images. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were making it out of two images in the sense you had the father, the son, but both the father and the son reflected one another as last week we was, we were saying that, uh, when he was talking to his disciples in the 14th chapter of John, he said, when you see me, you see the father. So, so in essence, did Yahushua give up his other side when he came here? That's, a, that's another a profound question because of the fact that uh, when we, when we see him coming into this world mm-hmm. uh, and he took on flesh then you would say to yourself, if he came as a masculine man, then uh, who would be the feminine woman? Mm-hmm. And this is where the mystery, this like, uh, let, let us turn to Ephesians. Uh, I believe that's Ephesians. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians, 
And in the book of Ephesians, I believe it's uh, chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. Okay. And we want to look at verse 25, in, uh, Ephesians 5, and we want to look at verse 25. Okay, now, what we notice here uh, about the androgynous nature is a mystery. Now, here's, here's what the Bible says, okay? It says here, uh, in uh, e Ephesians 5, and looking at verse 24, it said, Therefore, as the church is subject unto the Messiah, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Now, notice this. It said, Husband, love your wives, even as Messiah also loved the church. Okay. And he gave himself for it. You know, he on Passover when he died for the church, he gave himself for it. Okay, now, the question that we're looking at is, is that when we get down get, when we get down to verse 32 of Ephesians, the fifth chapter in verse 32, it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the Messiah and the church. You follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, if, if, he, if, if, if the Messiah is masculine, he's saying, I have to come and get the other side of my nature, which is the church. So when he comes to get his church, his church is feminine and he is masculine. So when he comes to get his church after he was incarnated, then when his church responds and accepts him and accept his blood for dying for them, then the Messiah and his church are now united in marriage. And so when you look in the book of Revelation, when it speaks about that his bride had adorned herself and made herself ready, then that means that when Christ has already church, then the wedding is about to get on mm -hmm. because now he's, he has been married to his bride. So when we look at it in the mystery of it, he had his nature when he came here, which was, uh, he was a male, but he was coming to get the female, which was his church. Mm. Now, one of the things, you know, dealing with today's this day and age and with, you know, saying that Yahuwah mm -hmm. was androgynous, I know mm -hmm. you're going to get these people who are transgenders who will say, well, I feel like I'm the same way because I was born a male, but now I feel like I'm a female, which, mm -hmm. as far as I know, it's a sin according to scripture. Mm -hmm. So how can, how, what would be the argument to say, well, if Yah is both, why can't I be both? You know, if I'm in his image also. Okay, well, uh, we might be covering some of that next week, but for the fact that you asked the question this, this week, we'll, we'll look at something that is, that is pertinent here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let, let us uh, look at Genesis uh, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 21. Yeah, they can, they, they can, they can use that mm -hmm. since he is what he is, and try to claim both of them, but here, here's the problem that they're running into. Mm -hmm. It says, and the rib, in verse 22 of uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2 and verse 22, it said, and the rib which the Yah Yahuwah Elohim had taken from the man, he made a woman, and brought her unto the man. Okay, mm -hmm. so what I'm saying, he made the separation back there. Mm. Okay. All right, now, if he made a separation back there, that meant that you got to be either a man or a woman. Mm 
Okay, now, and, and a person might jump up and say, well, no, uh, that separation don't mean that. Okay, mm-hmm. let's let's do it this way then. All right, when he, separate, when he separated uh, the darkness from the light, can we say that a that a person uh, that that light and darkness uh, 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 has to be together? No, because when he's separated, it cannot be. When you got light, cannot there is no darkness, and when you got darkness, there's no light. Yeah. He separated them, and if he didn't separate them, then that means today that when when we go outside, we should be able to see light and darkness all mingled together. Yeah. But the only way that you see light is to, to the celestial body. Why? Because he's separated. Mm. Okay. Then, when 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 you when you uh when you see the things that he has separated, then you can't say that you you are both of them because when he separates, that's what he wanted to do was to separate. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's ironical, the things that he separated. People want to try to put it back together, okay? Mm-hmm. They want to try to put the things that he separated together, but the things that he put together, then man want to want to create something different, okay? So when 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 he when he created uh, uh, Adam, he separated him, and through the separation he had marriage, and he said, "What Elohim has put together, let no man put asunder." So man wants to have a divorce and separation and stuff like that. That's not what Elohim intended. He wanted them to be, uh, be together. So he separated them and put them together. And the things that he put together, man wants to separate. So he put man and woman together, but then man want to come around and destroy the married relationship. No, you can't say that you are both when he separated them, because once he separates something, his word, keeps that thing separated mm-hmm. and if you try to say that you're both then you're saying that the scriptures is not telling the truth mm-hmm. and elohim has always told the truth and 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 and, and I, I guess when we get to the next portion uh when we talk about rightly dividing the word mm-hmm. well if, if if you try to claim that you 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 are both sex and elohim says that you that that you are you are separate, then you are not rightly dividing the word of truth. Mm-hmm. Now there's a difference between a person having having what what we may say uh, the parts of both a, a male and a female, True. but those are what we may call uh, a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. So when we have what you call a freak of nature, you you may have that. But oftentimes people would have to have operations or they may just have to live with, 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 that, with that type of a, 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 a body if they, they so desire. And sometimes when they can catch it early, uh, then when they can catch it earlier in life, mm-hmm. then the doctor may can do something th- to uh, be able to uh, see whether they are um, uh, more of female or more of a male and make the necessary changes. Now, uh, now when that happens, uh, as a freak of nature, there's a word that they use for that. Now you might, might want to write this word down that when a person, uh, has both male and female, uh, attributes in the sense of, 
them being born that way. The word is T-A-R-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y, tarotology. Tarotology is when uh, there are both male and female traits in a person that is coming to existence, okay? But that's a mistake or some abnormality that has happened within in the body. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things, too, I found interesting is that to me, if a person says, okay, well, I was born a male, I born a female, but I'm identify I'm a male or now or a female now, it's in, or saying that I am both, basically in some instances it's saying that I am God, you know, that they are calling the themselves God mm-hmm. because Yah is the only one that really can be both, especially right. after you said that he has purposely separated male and female, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, to me, it's an arrogant thing to say, you know, I am just like God if I am, you know, I'm claiming both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, uh, like I said, is that, you know, uh, when El- Elohim, you know, he made a separation uh, of a lot of things. He made a separation of the water and the land. Mm hmm. And, and can we say, well, we're going we gonna to make water and land uh, uh, the, the same? You, can, you can't do it. You, you, you can't do it because Elohim's word has declared that it would, would not be. Yeah. All right. So if he's discovered that it cannot be, you cannot reverse that. You can try. You can say it. But the elements are, are not there to prove that. And yeah. so what, what you're dealing with is that as you said, you're trying to play Elohim yourself. You're trying to be a guy to say that I can be two things when he only made me one thing. True. And in order for me to rightly uh, have the other side, then I must have the opposite sex that, in order to get to the other side because he separated it and he did the separation so that man and woman can be drawn together Yeah. because they're the only species on the earth outside of animals and the birds and the fish that they can cohabitate with one another with a being in their own likeness, just like Elohim had a being in his own likeness. Yeah. And it, you know, it's interesting because it's like you said, basically things in nature that's been separated, man cannot force them to come together. Just like you said, you can't not have day and night. You can't have land mm-hmm. and water. It's either, or you cannot have both. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, if you read in the Bible, the Bible's, in the book of Psalms, it says that when Elohim created the water and the land, he said that he had gave it, given a decree to the waters that they should go so far and don't go any further. Because if he didn't put a check on those waters, we would be having a flood every day. Yeah. You know, but he gave a decree to water. He said, you're going to go so far and you're not going to go any further. Now, another question is uh, that I have. You stated that earth is dominant over water now is earth still dominant over water even after are, are you talking well i should ask it like this is it uh dominant referring to area or is it dominant towards you know earth is more dominant than water because after the yeah. flood it seems like we have more water uh than earth 
you know, after the flood happened? Okay, yeah. Well, let's look at that question. All right. When we first start off in creation, there's two things that we start off with. We start off with darkness and we start off with water. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you start off with water uh, and you start off with darkness, then when he brought in light, what was dominant over the light? I mean, what was dominant over the night was, was, was the light. He mm -hmm. came in and dominated the night. Okay. So, uh, just like night covered everything, but light came in, then light, then darkness dissipated. Okay. So when you deal with water, water was covering all of the earth. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but when he brought separated the, the land and the water, you had more land mass than you had water mass. Mm -hmm. But he had reserved the water, not only to give us life, but if we didn't do right, it would give us death. So what happened? He sent the flood and the flood destroyed the world. But in the same time, he destroyed the world. It made most of the world now water. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what the dominance come in is that when he got ready, just like he did in the creation to make a new world, he did the same thing that he did when he first had the earth. He, he, he used the wind and the earth to absorb the water. So it had dominance over the water, mm -hmm. but yet while it had the dominance over the water, the still the water had a decree that he said, no more will I destroy the world again by water, but next time it's going to be by fire. So we still see the dominance, even though the water is most of the world's uh, world's composition. But yet it's still, he still have the dry land because the dry land has power over the water. That's why he made it that way. I think that's an excellent place that we stop and head to our next segment. Uh -huh. Up next is Let's Talk About That. This week in Let's Talk About That, I want to talk about the studying of the Bible. And if you turn to me, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, uh, I know if you've been listening to our podcast in several months prior, this used to be what I used to close out the show with. And it reads, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we have to ask ourselves, should we be constantly studying the Bible? I Remember a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with the guy and they said they read the Bible front to back three times. Now, this person is in their 60s, so I'm thinking to myself, OK, so you've only read the scripture front to back basically every 20 years. And it got me thinking, do we research and study the word like we should or do we just go with the narrative, too, that a lot of the religions uh, do? Because I remember when being a seven-day Adventist, how we had Sabbath school lessons. And basically, the conference or whatever you want to call it dictated what you should study. And I just wonder, do we as a people study outside of those realms, you know, and should we study outside those realms or should we just listen to our pastors or our teachers you know who teach us and not study for ourselves 
I know for me personally, I feel that we do have to study and read personally because it's a lot of things that people just don't cover that you may just not know unless you read for yourselves. So past on question, the question I want to know is, are we studying enough or should we be studying even more in the scriptures? Yeah, I think the question that you raised, you know, it goes beyond just, you know, the seven day Adventists and, uh, I think most denominations are up against against this. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, reading some excerpt uh, years ago about the Catholic Church, and one of the things about the Catholic Church is they were saying that their members is not abreast of understanding what it, what it teaches, and they had a little game that they could play, but in the game it was teaching them how to uh, learn more about their own church. Mm-hmm. And so they, they developed this game. It was like a deck of cards, but as you read the cards, it was enlightening, enlightening you on what the Catholic Church believed. And then I know I come from a Baptist background, and, and quite a few of the Baptists, you know, they go to church and come out. And I was one of the same ones, so I, I, don't, I don't need to point no finger because I was one of the ones that went. But I, I really didn't study the scriptures. I just listened to what they said. And I, I read the Bible, you know, but I, I don't know if you're reading and studying, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I read it, and I knew certain concepts. But then when I came into a knowledge, of the, especially the Shabbat and the things to eat, then I began to take a different view of it, and I began to read it. But I found out that... Even as I learned about the Sabbath and I learned about eating and dressing, that in the same church, there were those who hadn't studied. Mm-hmm. But it was new to me, so I was in, I was, uh, I had, by the time I got into the church, uh, I had studied quite a, quite a bit, and I was enthusiastic about it, but coming out of the Baptist to a Seventh-day Adventist, then I began to study, study, study more. But it could have been that if I was raised in a certain way, that's what I would have believed mm-hmm. until maybe I was open-minded enough to hear what other people had to say about the scripture. So I think it's so necessary, mm-hmm. not only to have the Bible, but to study it and not only to study it. And if you, if you read it one time, read it another time, don't just stop at two and three and four and five times. I don't know how many times I've read the Bible. I know I've read it at least 20 times or more, and I've, I've read it in different translations. Mm-hmm. And the more I read it, the more I become familiar with it, and the more I've become familiar with it, the more of the themes that I see, and the more of the themes that I see, I see that churches, denomination, and different religious organizations, they cover what they call their doctrines, and even though there may be other doctrines that are true, but because their church or their minister or their rabbi or their, their parishioners or preachers or their priests do not present these studies to them, they do not have a privilege of understanding other truths that are truth, but they do not teach. So it is incumbent upon us to have the responsibility that things that they do not teach, that we should teach ourselves to see if we are coming up to Elohim's covenant as he has given it, not as the denomination or the church or the individual. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, I always say, too, is that 
the reason why you have to read it many, many times, because it's just like the same thing. You can watch a movie many times. You can go a certain route when you drive to work or to a store. And you may not have noticed something doing those things on the desk. You may have driven past a shop a thousand times and then all of a sudden it's like, that been there all the time? And come to find out mm-hmm. they have. And I think it's the same thing with the scripture and the word. Like you can read it a lot of times, but then it's always something new that grabs your attention. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't know this was here. You know, in case in point for me, um, reading about ships in the Bible and how slaves was going to be transported. I never knew that was there until it was pointed out to me and I read it for myself. And all that time it was sitting right there. So I think, you know, you do mm. have to read because it's a lot of things that we're missed when we're reading that sometimes it's going to take some time for us to connect the dots because there is so much in the Bible. I mean, for us to digest that, mm-hmm. honestly, I would think it's going to take many, many, many years, even when we get to eternity, just to break down all the concepts and everything that has happened in the Bible and to discuss them with the Most High. Yeah. Well, it's ironical that you uh, mentioned that uh, you notice something uh, by going over this. You've been going over something for for many years, and you discover something new. Just just this just this week, just this week, mm-hmm. I was riding and I looked over and saw a building. I said, "Wait a minute, that building has been there all the time." But this is the first time I saw that. It's ironical yeah. that you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, that building has been there, but I had, I didn't even notice it. Mm-hmm. And I say, hey, isn't this something? All of this time, that building has been sitting right there, and I didn't notice it. And I noticed that in when you read the Bible, that you can read read something, and you keep reading it, and you see, and something to dawn on you said, hmm, I've read this Bible many times, and this first time I noticed that. Mm-hmm. So it's necessary for us to continue to read the document because Elohim may make us familiar with something that we're not familiar with. Yeah, and, and another thing I'm wondering, are we scared to dive into the word because we know there's more truth there and that we will have to change our lives? So a lot of times we don't want to touch it in certain areas because we know this, it has to change, and we like the way our current lives are. We don't want to change, you know. And I just wonder us as a people, because I know a lot of times, you know, when you try to tell people about certain the truth, well, I, I, I don't know, I got to ask my pastor, or I don't know about that, you know, and they, and, or they try to throw up some other type of argument. So I'm just wondering, do we just stick with a lot of times what we know because we don't want to have to go through the change. We, we don't want to be the odd man out. You want to be in mm. with the crowd and be accepted. Well, you know, that's, a, that's an excellent question that you raised. I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm doing a study, but I haven't c- quite completed it. But what, what the title of it is, is script, scriptophobia. Mm. Scriptophobia, mm. which would mean the fear of studying the scriptures. Wow. Okay. Now, what, what we see in scriptophobia is the fact that, as you pointed out, that most people want to stay in a, that, that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. 
In other words, if I if they feel that they have mastered something and this is the way it had been for years, and most of my friends and my relatives do it this way, and for me to step out of this comfort zone, it makes me uneasy. Yeah. And I, I, I can feel that when when Elohim told Abraham, he said, you know, you've been living around your relatives and all of this, and they are moon worshipers down here in Mesopotamia. He said, I want you to move out of this place, Abraham, because I got a place I want you to go because I don't think you can fulfill my will by saying where you, you are staying. And I, I can imagine that at 75 years of age, mm-hmm. that Abraham said, wait a minute, you know. But the Bible says he didn't hesitate. When Elohim told him, he moved. He, he, he may have had fear, but he feared the Most High in such a way that he was willing to, 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 to go out and to do that. And I find today that when you look at scriptophobia, it is not just with the common person in the pew. Uh-huh. It's yeah. also with the scholars and, 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 and the men who train us, the, mm. the, the theologians and the scholars and the preachers and the teachers. They also have scriptophobia because they go along with the narrative that if my church teach something, if that church is not teaching it, then I don't want to deal with it. True. Only until the church start doing it. If the church never do it, I'll never do it. They said if the church do it, then I'll do it. So you're basing your 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 journey not on the scriptures and the word of Elohim, but upon man and what man does. And if man never do it, you'll never do it. And if he does it, you you may do it or you will do it. You know, see. And so when you look at the scholars' pens, you have to say, uh, when they talk about the doctrines and the things of what their church teach. They're very eloquent, but then when it talks about other truths in the Bible, it is just which are just as uh, potent or is just as important and just as relevant, then all of a sudden their pens no longer have ink in it. They can't write anymore mm-hmm. because they know if many of the scholars and the learned men of certain denominations, if they began to write on things that are different from what their denomination or their church teach, then they look at it from the standpoint, if I got a position, I may lose it, and then I may be ostracized from the church. Just like in John, when we read that when Yeshua healed the blind man, and he went to the parents, and they said, was he born blind? And they said, well, uh, my son is of age. You know, you ask him, he, he can tell you. And what they was fearing is that they, not so much they couldn't tell him, but they said they would be put out of the synagogue if they didn't agree with the Jews. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, the reason why they don't want to deal with the scriptures and other truths that are truthful is because they fear they'll be put out to church. Mm-hmm. And so they, they don't want to approach that. And so when you deal with scripture phobia is that they fear something will happen to them if they really got into truths that the Bible teach, which we should be doing, that they'll be ostracized from the group in which they are in. But you know, that is something, if someone fears all of that, it just shows you their dedication to Yah, that you fear man more than the king himself. You know, and I think that's a very dangerous thing. You know, when we start to fear man over Yahuwah, Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. This is what uh, Peter and uh, and the apostles said when they was put in jail, and they told him not to teach in this man's name. 
They said we ought to obey Elohim rather than man. Mm-hmm. You see, and but we got to the point we we obey man and not Elohim. True. And so you know, and when when you get to execute a stage, in the Book of Revelation says that the whoremongers and 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 the fearful, they all have their lake and lake of fire. So you have to take his word for what he is saying. Not what, what man is saying, but what he says. And when you see that there's a demarcation between what Elohim has said and man said, then you got to go with what Elohim says if you're a follower of him. But if you're a follower of man, then you're going to end up uh, saying, well, uh, my church is not doing this. My minister is not no- doing this. My synagogue is not doing this. Uh, you know, my mom's, <laughs> my, my, my mom's is not doing this. Mm-hmm. My cathedral is not doing this. So you end up following the tenets of man, but Elohim is saying that we should follow the Torah. We should follow the word. You know, we, it's not the church that tells us how to live. It is the word that tells us how to live. It shouldn't be the church tells us how to live over the word. Because if we said the, the, the church is telling us how to live rather than the word, then we are saying that the word, the church has more power than the word. Now that's not so because the word came from Elohim. It should be that the word directs the church, not the church directs the word. Wow. And I think that's a great point to end on. Pastor, can you take us to the throne in prayer for this whole session of this podcast? Hello, and Father, again, we thank you that we can meet. Thank you that on the Shabbat we can discuss your word and to go into depth on the things, Lord, that you have written. Realize, Lord, that your word is the most powerful thing in the universe for it brought all things into existence. And when you matched up this word, the, the world, oh, Heavenly Father, you did it with such harmony and beauty that if we could see this world when it was first created, we would stand in awe. But the amazing thing about it, even after this world has become so simple and decrepit, it still has some of the marks of the beauty that has been left. We can still see the red, the orange breast on the robin. We can still see the zebra coat and the tigers and see how things are still beautiful. We can still see, oh, Heavenly Father, how if we come together and to do things as you would desire, even in a sinful world, we would be blessed. So we'd ask, oh, Heavenly Father, that as we continue to study your word, not to be fearful of your word, but to be able to embrace it. And when it, you, we embrace your word, to embrace, the word embraces us. But most of all, when we embrace your word, we are embracing the one who gave the word, which is Elohim and Yeshua themselves, that we embrace them. And as we do that, oh, Heavenly Father, we can be able to help the image of Elohim to be restored within us. And as we move forward, out of the Sabbath day into a new week, we ask that you would continue to bless all of those who listen at this podcast. And while I'm praying, it might be somebody that is having financial difficulties, Lord, that you would help them, oh, Heavenly Father, to have the means and the ends to be able to have a life that would be accommodatable, oh, Heavenly Father, of having the prosperity that you would have them to have. There might be those, oh, Heavenly Father, who are sick, that you might put your hands of healing upon them that they may be restored back to good health, O Heavenly Father, and they be able to move about as they normally do. There might be those, O Heavenly Father, have broken relationships and broken families, O Heavenly Father, that you would mend them together as they look to you, that you may know and let them know that you made the family, and if they look to you, you can restore the family. 
So whatever the difficulties and things, Lord, that we are going through and the hardships of life, that we ask that you would continue to be with us and to guide us. And as we look at your coveted promises, we ask that if we are not coming up to anything that you have given us, that we may go to the cross of Calvary and be able to give him all of our sins and he give us all of his righteousness and wash us clean, O Heavenly Father, and give us the power of the Holy Spirit that he can write these things upon our hearts and the covenant that was written on stone can be written upon our hearts that we can walk in the way that you would have us to walk. And when you do come, O Heavenly Father, or if we have to lay down into the cold grave, whether it's the resurrection or whether it's, it's the second coming of Yeshua, that we may be ready for your appearance. And when you catch us, may it be not that we are unrighteousness and unholy, but we, that we are just and we are holy because we are followed in the covenant promises that Yeshua taught us how to live. And when thou dost come, we can meet you in peace along with the labors that we have for others, that they too may be part of the covenant promises that one day we'll have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim throughout eternity is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. You know, I was thinking about distractions. And I don't know if you noticed how more and more distractions are happening to get our attention. From the pandemic, vaccination, Black Lives Matter, Asian hate, the economy, food shortages, riots, fighting, police brutality, the LGBTQ plus community and the movement of Satan to create a non-gender people, immigration, earthquakes, sinkholes, floods, murder, theft, gas, shortages, account hacking, and so on and so on. All of these things are happening to keep one main thing, to keep our minds off Yahuwah, our king. Just a couple of weeks ago, I ended a 40-day fast, and part of my 40-day fast was to Fast from Tell A Vision program. Did you get that? I will repeat it. Tell A Vision programming. And you should start to think, what do I mean exactly by that? We are being programmed a vision that they tell us. Who tells us? Satan and his evil minions. Satan wants us to be distracted because when you are distracted, you cannot be focused on what really matters, Yahuwah. When I was going through my fast, I really felt closer to Yah like I've never been before, and I strove to put him first. When we let all these distractions occupy our mind, we start to worship other gods and not the true Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha, our, our Yeshua who I remind you died for our sins, so even though he was sinless. We worry about getting COVID or as we as children of Yasharel worried about being pulled over by the police, if our lives will be lost or if we will live to see another day. All of these things are by design. But when we focus on Yahuwah as being our center, 
They are just things we just don't have to worry about. In Psalms 55, verse 22, it states, Cast your burden upon Yahuwah, and he shall sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. This is what we have to do. We must cast all these burdensome distractions on him, and he will give us peace in a world of turmoil. Love Yahuwah, our king, embrace and love the Torah. Children of Yasharel, I beg you to return to the covenant that your Yahuwah, our creator, has cut with our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So once, we can, once again, we can return to the loving graces of our king, who will lead us to victory and lead us into the eternal kingdom. I am Boyce. This is the Science of the Covenant podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. May Yahuwah bless you and keep you. Until next week, Shalom.